be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Because your character is who you really are, while your reputation is merely who others think you are. That's a quote from the legendary UCLA basketball coach, the late John Wooden. Welcome back to season two of the Leading Second Podcast. Let's do this. This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. Welcome back to season two of the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart, and it is such an honor that we uh, have the opportunity to spend every Thursday with you and bring to you uh, some leadership thoughts and perspective for all of us who lead but are not in charge. If you lead from the second chair, meaning if you serve a vision bigger than yourself, uh, welcome to Leading Second. Welcome to your new tribe. So excited you're here with us today, and I'm really excited with What we're going to talk about today, I believe this episode is really, really going to help you. So, so glad you're joining us today. Before we get started, I wanted to uh, let you know that Team Church One Day is coming to Canada in two weeks as of when this recording is uh, being released. On uh, Thursday, March 28th, Team Church One Day comes to Red Deer, Alberta for a day of moving the church forward of gathering together with the Team Church Tribe, of course, Leading Second. It's a part of the Team Church Tribe. And um, it's a day of leadership up close and personal with my pastors, uh, Kevin and Sheila Gerald, and our Team Church contributors. We would love to have you there. Leading Second's actually doing a session at that event. And we'd love to have you join us. So head over to teamchurchconference.com, click on the One Day tab, find out information. If you're within any reasonable distance, you're going to want to join us for what's going to be a really, really great day in uh, two weeks time. So we're excited about that. Well, as you know, every week we like to crowdsource our first segment and uh, take stories or questions from uh, members of the Leading Second Tribe. And so today we have a question uh, from an avid Leading Second podcast listener. So uh, let's check this out. Hey, Pastor Brandon, this is Nick from Belleville, Ohio, and my question for you is what is the greatest challenge you have experienced leading someone else's vision? And what advice can you give those who are in that second chair position who lead from a different location other than their lead pastor? I love the heart behind leading second, and I can't wait to hear back from you. Well, Nick, thanks so much for your question today. I love this question. Greatest challenge you've experienced leading someone else's vision and particularly being at a different location. Um, Let me just say, first of all, today, I know I talk a lot about um, challenges and dying to yourself and a lot of things like that here on Leading Second, and I believe all of it. But let me just say, first of all, today, it's been a really blessed journey for me in my life leading someone else's vision. Um, And that's because I'm supposed to be here. I am right where God called me to be. I'm graced for this. Uh, This vision has changed my life. So most of leading someone else's vision for me comes very easy to me because um, I just I just feel assigned here and called here. And I feel like there's a grace that comes with that. However, leading into your question, I think the greatest challenge I've experienced 
though, in my life is that I'm wired very differently than my pastor. And I think that might surprise people a little bit for me to say that because I really do make it my goal to represent my pastor in a room and I really make it my goal to try to extend uh, his reach and his voice. But a lot of that comes because I'm laying me aside. I'm actually wired very different than him. And in other words, he's a thinker and I'm a feeler. You know, I'm a I'm a futurist and he's a very pragmatic. I'm an experiential person. I'm a worship person. It is not that he's not, but but he he's very line upon line and truth oriented. And so we 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 come from very different angles uh many times. Um, if you want to add on to that, I'm a creative. My, my number one strength in um, strengths finders ideation, three out of my five top five are strategic strengths. Uh, I'm a starter. I love to try new things. Now I'm brought into churches all over North America to get to help and build and share my opinion. So you can only just imagine that when I'm home and at my home church, sometimes I have to lay some of that aside, that, that it's not always about me. And my idea and my feelings and my opinion, because I'm a part of something that's bigger than me. So having to lay all of that down can be tough for me at times. I'm just going to be honest with you that having to lay me down and put me second has, has by far been my greatest challenge. But let me fast forward for you now that I'm years into this. And now that I've built trust, here's what I find is I find myself being able to do all the things that I love right here at home. In other words, I died to myself first. And once I proved to my leader that I was not here for me, that I was here for them, I actually found the door swung wide open for me to be me and that my uh, uniqueness was celebrated. In other words, let me share this practical example with you. One time, uh, years ago, I was given the task of having to learn to take up, uh, do an altar call, a salvation altar call at the end of a service because we had gone multi-site and my pastor wasn't going to be staying around in a service long enough to do the altar call. He was going to preach and then he was going to leave and go to another campus. And I had to take the stage from my hero pastor and give an altar call to a message that I hadn't preached. And that might be a little more common now, but it was not common then. And I was intimidated by the task and I, I could have sat down and thought, man, how should I do an altar call? How could I do it better? How could I do it more unique? But that wasn't where I started. Where I started was I got a recording of my pastor doing altar call and I sat down and one day I drove around in the car. I played the CD, CD, that's right. That's how long ago it was. I played the CD in my car And I memorized word for word how my pastor did it. And for years, I'm talking for years when I had the opportunity to do a salvation altar call, I did it word for word how my pastor would do it. Now, if I'm honest, I've built enough trust over time where now I could probably add in a little bit of me. You know, when I'm at a church and doing a salvation call, I I do it probably a little more how I would. But I proved to him and to everyone that I was first aligned and that I'm never going to stray very far. And I found that my my submission made way for my uniqueness. And I laid myself down first and my pastor embraced who I was and my uniqueness second. But it wouldn't have worked the other way around. So I hope that thought helps you today. Uh, In terms of being at a different campus, I'll just answer that really quick. 
Um, I want you to realize that staying on the same page as your pastor is your job. In other words, um, just like for me, when I travel, I'm away from my home church most weekends. It's my job to stay up on meetings. It's my job to read notes from meetings. It's my job to listen to my pastor's messages. It's my job to communicate to him. It's my job to have his heart. It's my job to uh, be able to start conversations quickly with him when I do get back rather than like a warm up of, hey, long time, no talk. How we do it? No, I jump right back into the mix. It's my job to own my emotions in that. And, and, and in all of it, when people leave my presence, I want them to feel like they spent time with him. So I just want you to remember that today, that it's your job. Own the communication, own the alignment. It's your job to stay on the same page with them and that to be so aligned that when people leave your presence at that campus, they feel like they've talked to your pastor uh, because they've talked to the next best thing, which is you. You're, you're supposed to be there for such a time as this. And I believe if you'll do the hard work of staying on the same page with your pastor, I believe you'll represent him well in all of those moments. You'll extend his reach to a place that he's not able to be personally. If you have a question you'd like to hear us answer on the podcast, or if you'd like to share your I Am Leading Second story, we would love to hear from you. I'd encourage you to go to the Leading Second Forum on Facebook um, or leadingsecond.com. You can even email us if you want, uh, leadingsecond at churchforward.co. Share your story with us. Ask a question. We would love to crowdsource you right onto a future episode of the Leading Second podcast. All right, so for our conversation today, I am so excited to welcome back to the podcast for a, a full interview today, uh, my very good friend, John Morgan. John and his wife, Anna, uh, are anchored out of City Church in Chicago with Pastors Kent and Allie Muncy. John travels extensively around uh, the United States, North America, uh, even in the South Pacific and Australia. And uh, he is absolutely legendary when it comes to team building and church culture, leadership development. In fact, John was one of my earliest mentors uh, in my own life and in my own journey. Uh, today, John uh, specifically emphasizes youth ministry and developing youth pastors. And if you are a youth pastor or you're a lead pastor listening who wants to pour into your youth team. I know of no one better than John Morgan. He does an event called 252 Collabs. I so believe in. You can find out more information at johnandannamorgan.com. Uh, so without further ado, I'm excited to welcome him to the podcast today. Let's lean in. Let's listen. We're going to tackle a couple of really necessary topics. Uh, without further ado, here it is, my conversation with John Morgan. All right. Well, I'm joined today by the man, the myth, the legend, a a personal friend, personal hero to Lindsay and I, Pastor John Morgan uh, from City Church Chicago. Uh, say what's up to everybody, uh, John. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, so good to uh, have you on the podcast today. And it's uh, great to be with you. Thanks for sitting down with us a little bit today. I I am really grateful for you. I met you. Um, years ago when you were traveling through our church, I was 19 years old and went to work out with you and had no idea 
that when I did, I would be sore for two weeks. Um, I was an unsuspecting intern at the time. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm thankful that you entered my life, even though I was sore. I'm uh, thankful that you entered my life. And um, you've, you've meant a lot to us over the years. That's cool. That we won't be the first or last person to say that they worked out with me and were sore. I love it. That's just my first and best there are, memory. There are a few horror stories around, but anyway, it's all good. Yeah, mine wasn't. Mine wasn't that. You did bad. survive. You survived. I, I did. I'm here. I'm alive, and we're still friends. That's so, um, anyways, be, before we jump into our conversation today, maybe tell um, everybody a little bit about you and your family. I know you've been on the podcast before, but I never like to take for granted, um, you know, people, people not, maybe not knowing who you are. So, um, maybe tell everybody where you're coming from and what you do for ministry and, and, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I, I live in Chicago. I'm married to one very beautiful, gorgeous lady, Anna, Rebecca Morgan, who you've had, I think on your podcast multiple times. Yeah. She's amazing. And, and she's a minister director there at city church in Chicago with pastor Kenton Alley. So she's on staff. So we're both based there, and I travel out of there uh, most of the year um, on the road, um, you know, in and out. Uh, we have three very gorgeous daughters, Brooke Michaela, who is at home with us. She's 19. And then Shreya and Chloe, who are both in Seattle with you guys. Yep. Chloe's Pastor Kevin's PA. Yep. And Shreya uh, works and volunteers at the church. Yeah, so they're amazing. They're our three girls. So. That's pretty much, in a nutshell, our life. Yeah, and you focus a lot of your work with, um, with I mean, younger leaders, youth pastors. I know you 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 do you you have a wide range of ministry, but that's really a passion of yours. Yeah, youth ministry is my passion. Uh, I would say how how I connect the first time with a church generally will determine how that all works out. So some yeah. churches I'm actually coaching the pastor sure. and I've been coaching them since, you know, they first started out or the churches were small. There are other churches that I'm involved in where I went there originally as friends with the pastor and I built relationship with like their sons over the years. And now yeah. their sons are in the process of taking over the church and leading the church. And so it's just been a natural progression having done life with some of those guys since they were like, you know, 10 or 12. Now they're, you know, young men leading and their wives, and they've got families, so helping them. But predominantly my passion is youth ministry. I resigned my church as senior leader in New Zealand in 1998 uh, to pursue just helping youth ministers and youth pastors. So up until that point, I'd pastored, led a church. We had uh, three church plants out of that. And I also led Youth Alive uh, there in New Zealand, and we ran a major youth conference slash church conference. Uh, and so I did it the opposite way around. Most people go from youth ministry into pastoring. I went from pastoring into youth <laughs> right. ministry. Right. And I think that's um, that's exactly why we're talking today and why it's important to me to have your voice into our community here that we're building with Leading Second uh, just from the idea that you were one of the first people where that Lindsay and I learned from on how to not only how to lead from the second chair, but how to be content, how to actually find an identity in that role that you place so much value on it. And I think that's what we've tried to do in this community with Leading Second is give dignity and value to the idea that when you lead from the second chair, it's not insignificant. It's not 
a throwaway thing. It's not secondary that it's a valuable, necessary role in the kingdom. So I just want to thank you for that because you forever changed our perspective and uh, you going from a lead role to a second role, just so you know, it, it really, um, that, that single part of your story, uh, changed our lives. So we're grateful. Yeah, that that was an interesting, that was an interesting journey to do that. And it wasn't like an immediate thing. It was a journey, um, both scripturally and, you know, experientially. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been good for me. I love it. So before we talk anything serious, I do like to ask everyone that we interview, uh, some, the, the same set of questions. I'm always just interested about the, the backstage, you know, of a leader's life. So it's just like a test. Cause I get test anxiety. Yeah. Well, yeah. Take a Xanax. Um, this is gonna, this will give you a little, uh, okay, I try not to get any wrong. I <laughs> see how many I get right. <laughs> okay. Um, what time do you get up in the morning? Are you an early morning person or a night owl? Oh, uh, I like to get up early, but because I travel and I can be in a different time zone, right? You know, every couple of days and do a lot of trips to Australia, New Zealand, and whatever, that does vacillate. But I think by nature, I like to get up early. You know, depends what you say early. So I like to get up about four um, <laughs> minutes past yes. five. There it is. There it is. <laughs> minutes past eight. Okay. So anywhere about anywhere between eight oh nine. Would be now. I, I try to get up about seven o'clock in the morning. Is is what I can. So if I can get up at seven and get going. That's that's a good start for me. That's awesome. I don't really enjoy getting up any earlier. I do have to do it every now and then for a flight or prayer or whatever. But yep. I don't enjoy that. Yeah, I can hear you on that. Uh, what is your coffee order when you're when you're going and grabbing a cup of coffee? Four shot sort of espresso with a tad of water. So nothing real intense. I think a tad's a technical. A tad's technical term. No, just a light drink for the morning. Just a light drink. Yeah. All day, I drink a few of those. That's awesome. I was, I was, I was preaching in Australia. This is going back a couple of years now. And I was doing the Hillsong West Campus in Sydney and then speaking at their Newcastle campus. So this is probably six or seven years ago. And uh, they picked me up from downtown, drove me to the West Campus, did a couple of services there. And then it's like a couple of hours drive up mm. through the city and up to Newcastle and a couple of services up there. So. They're making me coffee all day, you know, quad tall Americana, whatever. And so the driver on our way back is like 9.30 at night said to me, how you doing? Like, how you feeling? I said, no, I'm feeling pretty good. He goes, <laughs> yeah. He said, I, I think you should. He said, did you know that you've had 28 shots of coffee today? Oh, my gosh. So I think that might have been my record. Okay. Fair enough. You probably preached good that last service there. <laughs> Oh, that last one was good. I did a 40 minute message in 10 minutes. Exactly. Amazing. Church got out on time. It was great. (laughs) I out early. Like we like this guy. We didn't understand a word. He said there were (laughs) flames leaping off his mouth as he spoke. Oh gosh. But it was a good. That's awesome. Uh, okay. Are you Apple or PC? I am Apple. I'm a convert. I used to be PC, but I have everything Apple now. Jesus is Lord. I have the Apple that. Pen. I have the Apple Watch. I have the earbud things. Yep, I have yep. the iPhone. I have the iPad. Um, I, love I eat apples. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what is your favorite thing to do on your days off? Uh, spend time with my wife. Good answer. That's my favorite thing. I love it. All my girls, if she's not around. She is awesome, by the way. I think we have her on another episode coming up soon, too. Yeah, um, she's very awesome. 
what, last question, what is something interesting about you that no one may know? And I think with you, this is a scary question, but, uh, could be be a scary question. (laughs) I think, uh, what people would not know would be uh, number one, I'll get a couple of those. My name is Kerry John, not John. Right. Yeah. So my first name is K E R R Y Kerry. So my mom gave me a girl's name (laughs) and, um, which I'm reminded of when I travel because every now and then I go to a hotel and there'll be a letter from the manager in my room, welcome Mrs. Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> um, or if Anna and I check in together at a hotel, oh. uh, they look at the name Kerry and they always talk to her. Uh, they don't, they don't talk oh. to me. So always um, yeah, So I have, I have a girl's name and a guy's name. So technically I've had a transgender name before that was cool. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> What I, what I actually thought we would do today, um, just because I, I value your voice um, on kind of the real issues that younger leaders deal with in ministry, I just thought I would ask you about a couple of topics that we get really often uh, on our forum and, you know, email and, and whatnot and here in the leading second. And just thought I'd have you weigh in on a couple of things today, if that was cool. And the I think uh, unrivaled the subject we get asked about the most in different forms, whether it be coaching groups or whatnot, is how do I lead people who are older than me? Uh, most of our Lady Second tribe is under 35 or even under 30. So um, definitely a lot of people in that position. So I guess let me just open that up for you. What What are the qualities you've seen in younger leaders who gained traction and influence with people who were older than themselves? I would say number the first thing, if if you're a sixteen year old, then that may be a relevant question. Right. But if you're twenty one and over, then I would say number one, uh, get over the whole thought of I'm young and I got to lead older people. Mm. You're not really young. Right. If you're thirty, thirty five, you're an adult. You're not. If you're 35 and leading, you're two years older than Jesus ever was on the planet. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think that you have to get in your spirit because it goes a little bit of both ways. I've heard both sides of that coin. And I do think it's a little bit of an excuse of responsibility or leadership authority. So one would be, hey, I'm young. Uh, I got to leave people older. How do I do that? You know, are they going to respect me? Or the flip side of that would be, hey, I'm young. And now I've got to lead all these people that were my friends, you know, in yeah. our young years. And now yeah. they're all my peers. How do I, how do I lead all these people my age or, or younger? And I'm not saying it's a cop out, uh, but I do think it's just a mentality that you have to make a decision and go, Hey, look, I'm not young. I'm, yeah. I'm not. And if I was too young to lead, then I wouldn't be called to lead. Somebody appointed me either. If I'm a senior pastor, then God appointed me to lead. I remember in in New Zealand when I was pastoring. And so I started the church when I was 27 and I resigned the church when I was 37. Mm. And I think about that time frame. So I led in those those years as a senior leader. And I remember in the early years, I was early 30s, maybe 31, 32. I had a couple of those challenges. The first one, you know, I had a, a wonderful older couple come up. They may have been in their 40s or 50s or something. And and they said, you know, uh, we would lead this differently if we were the pastors of the church. Not trying mm-hmm. to be that whole intimidating. And I said, well, that's a really good thing. I said, hey, did God call you to pastor the church? You know, has God called you to be senior pastors? And they were like, well, no, he hasn't. That's why we're here. I said, has he ever called you 
to be senior pastors of the church. And they're like, well, no, that's da, 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 da. And so I was like, well, it's interesting to me that you would say you'd lead it differently because uh, obviously you had plenty of time for God to call you to pastor this church and he didn't call you to do it. And you're already in New Zealand. God called me over from Australia to come and pioneer the church because he didn't call you. So, you know, I don't want to be rude or anything, but there must be some reason he didn't call you. So if he didn't call you to pastor this church and he called me to pastor it, probably not going to really care what you think, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because obviously God didn't validate that. And so I I wouldn't necessarily encourage anybody else to repeat that statement (laughs) to somebody. It doesn't make you, doesn't make you like group hug people, but I do think it's that authority that you've got to be in yourself to go, I'm not, I'm not bowing to your manipulation because you're using age over me on that one. And another lady, she was probably in her seventies or eighties. And she was like, you know, I don't know if I can come to a church. And I, again, I think at that point I was like 32. She goes, I don't know if I can come to a church with a pastor as young as you. And so I was like, you know, that's, that's fair enough. I, I get that. Um, are you saved? Are you a Christian? And she's like, well, yes, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive. You know, I said, so Jesus is your savior. And she's like, well, yeah, that's what I just said. I did it. And she's getting a little bit hot under the collar. And I said, well, it's just interesting to me that Jesus can be your savior and I can't be your pastor. Next year, I'll be older than he ever was on the planet. <laughs> I'm just lining up. If age has got something to do with job authority, um, don't you struggle with the fact that that young man is your savior? Mm. And so again, uh, not conversations I encourage people to have to be that blunt. I am a blunt person, so that's probably going to just come out naturally. I'm not always as proud of that. It doesn't always serve me well. <laughs> but but Paul wrote to Timothy, said, let no one despise your youth. Right, right. And so I think he didn't say, um, you know, get over it when people despise your youth or don't feel bad when people despise your youth or, hey, here's a warning. People are going, he, he said, let no one despise. In other words, you've got to make the decision in you uh, that no one is going to despise it. And so you shouldn't either. Mm-hmm. You, shouldn't use your, you shouldn't use your youthfulness or being young That's right. as an excuse for being stupid or oh, it's really hard for me to lead over these people. Oh, no, you just go and just lead. Leadership, you know, people aren't asking your age. They can probably tell that you're young, but people aren't asking you. There's no mandate. There's like no magical number on leadership. You've got young entrepreneurs all across the world in their twenties, building massive, big businesses, employing people majorly older than them. So I just think it can become a bit of a cop out, uh, in church that we get this fear, you know, he, and then he, and then Paul goes on and just says, we'll just be an example. So, uh, he said, you know, don't let anyone despise your youth, but how you get authority is you be an example well, even right. just that whole comment, that whole comment there is the axis and the basis of all leadership, no matter how old you are. Yes. Is being an example. Follow me as an example. I'll make you fishes of men. That's what Jesus said in Hebrews 13, verse 7. Uh, Paul said, he said, um, he said, remember those who rule over you, who've spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow. And then it finishes yeah. considering the outcome of their conduct. So the authority of all leadership is people considering the outcome of our conduct and go, I can follow you. When I, when I, when I look at your fruit, I can follow you. So that you judge a tree by its fruit, not its yeah, trunk size. Good. So, you know, judge me by my fruit, not trunk size is to do with age. 
So, you know, that you've been there a long time, the trunk is big. It doesn't say judge a tree by its trunk size. Right. Judge a tree by its fruit. So if you're a fruitful tree, you know, if you're a fruitful leader and you're young, then just tell people, don't follow me by my age. If, if, if you get that kickback, follow yeah. me by my fruit. Yeah. Follow me, you know, like, really like if, good. If, you hang, if you hang with me, you're going to be better. If you, if you hang with me, you're going to be more successful. If you hang with me, I'm going to help you become all God created you to be. Yep. And I just think when you when you carry that authority, I've never really I, I think those two illustrations I gave on age were probably the only times I ever really got confronted with an age thing. The rest of it, I just I've been leading since I was 18. I was running a restaurant at 21 um, and had people calling me Mr. Morgan at 20 in the restaurant industry before I was a, before I was a Christian. So mm. I don't think I ever allowed that to be age to be a detractor. And I would encourage every young leader, just don't just lead, lead strong, lead confidently. Don't. Yeah. And, and if you respect people that are older than you, I think, you know, and you give them respect uh, and, you know, you're not rude or arrogant to them. Um, then I think it's easy for them. Well, I think what you just just said right there is really the key that younger leaders are usually looking for opportunity. Younger leaders are usually looking for trust, but people that are older, um, I think are usually willing to follow someone younger. They just need a little bit of honor and respect, you know, an acknowledgement of, of the fruit of their life, you know, and their longevity. And, and once respected, I've noticed a lot of older people in church life um, willingly love following a younger leader and maybe even weigh in on this, John, um, don't you feel like sometimes it's really just one or two voices that we get paralyzed by? You know, when in reality, most people are behind you as a younger leader. Most people want you to win and want you to succeed. In reality, sometimes it's it really is just one or two voices. I'm not even sure people put age into it. Mm. Maybe they do. I can't think like like I'm an older leader now, and I serve younger leaders than me. Yeah, you know, um, right. I'm on I'm on a, a church team right now where my senior pastor, uh, she was an intern for me at champion center. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and her husband, the senior pastor was been my friends for the last, for the last 20 years. I've known him since he was like, you know, uh, he would have been a teenager or close, you know, just real close to 20. So I've never once thought to myself, oh, these guys are young, you know, I'm massively, I've been doing ministry longer than they've been, you know, right. I, I don't think I've ever looked at them as an adult and thought, I just like what they do. I like who they are, how they carry themselves. I don't think they've ever come up to me and go, you know, oh, we're really young. Can you follow us? They've never asked my permission, you know, to, for me to follow them because they're young. They they just lead and you just, if someone's leading, people follow. If, you know, if no one's following you, then you're probably not leading. Right. So the, I don't think the issue is, is an age thing. I just think it's an authority. You just got to take authority. You yep. got to lead with authority. You may have one or two people that will come out and say things like I talked about that old lady in the church and that other couple, but they're going to say that to your pastor. Mm. Anybody that says, I'm not sure I can follow you, you know, cause you know, I wouldn't do it differently. They're saying that to, people are leaving your senior pastor all the time. Right. They're making right. a decision. We're not going to follow you. You know, we're going to go to another church and follow somebody else for another six months before we've got to follow somebody else. People are just flaky and you can't build on that. So right. I, I don't, I don't focus on the detractors or the people that think they can do it better. Um, or think the people that have more experience. Just, just 
be an example, lead. Just you just lead with authority. You just you just gotta ooze yeah. that confidence, but not arrogance. Uh, learn how to get people to buy into what you're doing and how to pe- how to get people to follow you. And very rarely do, do they follow arrogance, you know. So yep. if you're respectful and you give vision and you've you know you've got fruit and you're you know you're you know you're polite and you're confident and you're respectful. I think all those things are just natural leadership giftings, no matter how old you are. Right. Really well said. Really well said. Okay. Maybe on to second topic I wanted to chat with you about today. And I think not only one of the ways you helped my life, but in my opinion, this is just from my seat, probably one of the greatest ways you helped our church. You were on our team here for a few years. And um, that idea is leading your department within the bigger picture of your church. I remember when you were here on our team and um, I've known you, I guess now at this point more on the road than uh, being a part of the same church as you. And yet there was a season where, you know, we sort of breathed the same air on the same team. And I remember how you so seamlessly wove our youth ministry at the time into the bigger picture of the church. I think we had a good youth ministry before, but it in some ways was separate culturally. And you just brought that into alignment with the bigger picture of the house. And I just wondered if you could expand on that, talk about why you did that and, and why that's so important. Because younger leaders that are probably listening today, they could be leading a department in their church or an area of their church. Maybe they're the youth pastor or campus pastor. And it's just so important that the biggest win for us is, is the church's culture, not our own culture um, in our department. So I wonder if you could just talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I, I was able to do it because I spent so much time prior to going on staff trying to understand it. So in back then, which was 2002, Champion Center's vision statement was purposing to equip people to live successful Christian lives. Yep. And so I spent probably, I don't know, maybe three to six months with Pastor Kevin Prodig saying, yes, I'll come, finding out what all that meant to him. Like, what does a successful Christian look like to you? Mm. So if he was going to say, look, a successful Christian to me is someone who gets up at 3 a.m. in the morning and they pray for five hours and they, you know, able to speak the Bible in Hebrew and they expert <laughs> spirit dancers. And I think every one of them should own a shofar and a tambourine. If he, if he went down that track, then I'd be like, eh, I don't think that's what I see as a successful Christian. I'm not sure I can sign in and buy into that vision. But when he started to share his vision and the culture and his values, I found out that pretty much lines up with what I, what I see. Now, different for me at that point too than most young leaders is you got to understand at that point I'm already a mature strong strong number one I've already got a, I've already built a really strong church right uh, we had a very successful church in New Zealand I just wanted to be in youth ministry not as a senior pastor so I was looking for a fit I wasn't looking for an opportunity I didn't need a job I, I didn't I wasn't going him because I needed to get paid somewhere I was already earning a really good salary on my own itinerating and helping train. So I didn't need an opportunity. I wasn't trying to get a shot. I wasn't trying to get, you know, uh, a, a leg up. He, he wasn't helping me get a leg up. I was actually going in to help uh, uh, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Sheila build their vision of what they see. So I needed to be able to see that it was going to be the same, it was so going to be good. the same thing. And at the same time, uh, then, you know, understanding it, uh, 
that that is the role of if you want to ride in the second chariot, you you know you have to get comfortable in the second chariot, and you yeah. have to realize that often, you know, it's not wrong to have ambition. Uh, this the Bible just talks about don't have selfish ambition. Right. So if it's just not self-centered in me and my call and what I want to do, that's where most people go wrong. It's like my call and, you know, my mandate and my thing. And now it's God's kingdom. It's God's church, right. not your church. And if you can, if you can own the bigger picture of God's church and go, okay, this church here is a really good fit. You know, dealing with a lot of youth pastors, nine times out of 10, and I can think of two at the moment where they're struggling with the church that they're at and they're having a hard time being on staff was because in both cases, they didn't take time out to find out what the vision was before Mm -hmm. they went on staff. They took a really good opportunity and they took a good opportunity and they went in, they got in and now they find out the culture is different than they want and the vision is different than they, that they would, you know, that they can see, you know, and all these, so they get problematic because they took a job. They, they, They didn't go in to build a vision. Yes. And, and when, when you take the job and you go in, that's where it comes in. Well, you know, um, even a, a pastor a couple of years ago, there was a pastor, I don't want to say the area, but it was, it was in, um, overseas and he'd become a part of a campus in a church in America. Mm. And it went sideways. It was a massive, big church, big campus model in America. He became a campus. Cause I think in his mind, uh, he saw an opportunity to be a part of something really big. And maybe, you know, increase his name and increase his status. And so he, you know, ended up in, in uh, becoming this campus pastor. Well, when they took over and they weren't using him to preach and mm. he was on the roster and they were streaming in videos, that, that's when I got involved. I didn't know him prior to this. Somebody called me to say, hey, can you help this guy? And so when I went through this phone call, I'm like, dude, you – you took an opportunity, like, because he's going, but their, their vision is different than mine. I was like, you shouldn't have a vision. There's <laughs> yeah. no such thing. There's no such thing as your vision anymore. You, right. Your vision was when you were the pastor. As soon as you went onto a campus model, you yielded your vision and said, there's a vision bigger than my vision. I, I want to be a part of that. Um, and when you join yourself to the bigger vision and die to your own vision, you, like we, we talk about a lot about Joseph. Can you imagine? When Joseph pulled, uh, when Pharaoh pulled Joseph out of prison, and Pharaoh was sharing his dream with Joseph, if Joseph had said, "Hey, yeah, good vision, man, love it," but before we go on here any further, can I just tell you the vision I had when I was seventeen? Let me just share my vision with you because I want to just see, you know, I want <laughs> to totally. make my vision a reality. Totally. Like, in that, does that make sense? Totally. So all, all, all he did was say, "Wow." This is huge. This is national and international salvation. You know, I, I, I can help you build that. I can help you strategize that. This is how it's going to happen. And when Joseph just laid his life down to share, to build something massively bigger, you know, like a decade and a bit later, Joseph's vision that he had when he was 17 became a reality right. by building something bigger than himself. So, so what should a leader do if they find themselves in that position? I mean, it's agree with everything you just said, but a guy or a girl is listening today and they do feel like they're on a different page or their vision for their department is different from where their pastor sees things are going. What should they do? If, if the vision and the, the culture is different than what their pastor has and what they're trying to achieve, they should probably quit. 
They should probably go somewhere else and find another church where their vision and the culture is the same. If their strategy is different, you know, then like how they're going to build that, then that, that's, that's something that you can adjust. But if you're like, you know, pastor wants our young people, you know, to be like this, and I believe that they should be like that, then, you know, it's, that's two visions. It's division, yeah. you know, and you, you can't build with, 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 with the vision. So you either got to quit or you go, you know what? I probably should just lay my vision down on the altar, let it die. If God raises it up at another point, when I get the opportunity to be the vision caster, there you go. Then I'll yep. take that. That may be ten or twenty years later, or, or five years later. I'll just let it die on the altar, and I just build that vision. But if you've got this constant tension of, you know, I don't fit, then you you probably should quit. That's just a reality. It, it sounds harsh and tough, but you're just picking up a paycheck. You're only only ever going to be frustrated, and you're only going to ever be building your own little kingdom. And it's only going to be problematic. Well, and I think that's why I, I enjoy leaning into this conversation is I think people need to hear it because I, I do, I wholeheartedly agree with you that too often we see people take opportunities and jobs rather than, rather than sell out to a vision. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it, it, here's a difference between vision though, and, and, and agreement. So the, the conversation I had with pastor Kevin, it was a journey I did was out of the book of Philippians. And it says, number one says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ, who did not think it robbery to be equal with God. So the first premise of being able to serve another vision is actually knowing who you are. Mm. So I said to Pastor Kevin in our early discussions, and again, if you're a young leader, you probably can't have this conversation with your pastor, but you can have this conversation in your head. I could have it because I was already established leader with authority, not needing a job. So I said to him, I said, Pastor, when coming on team, uh, you, you need to understand how I'll carry myself. I don't see myself less than you. So let this mind be that was in Christ who didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. So Jesus never, ever balked at a time when someone treated him like God to respond like he was God because he was God. Woman with the alabaster flask pours it out. Everyone else is angry. Jesus is totally cool with it. They're throwing palm branches down. He's riding on a brand new donkey. He's totally cool with it because he's the son of God. It was an accurate perspective. So I said to Pastor Kevin, I said, the challenge maybe for you is how I carry myself because I don't, I don't need a job from you and I don't see myself less than you. Um, uh, and I don't think I need to be less than you to be on your staff. Having said that, you're like the top pro basketball player I'm probably like a top pro football player. We're at the top of our game in different fields and different areas, but it doesn't make me less than you. So, you know, you're a great senior pastor, massively better senior pastor than me, but I am great in youth ministry and I'm going to be better in that than you. So that's my field. I just need my field to serve something bigger. Does that, does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So, so I never thought it robbery to carry myself with authority and this is who I am and confidence and, you know, and, and confident in myself. So but this one be, didn't think it robbery equal with God, but then it goes, but made himself of no reputation. Mm. So me resigning my church as a senior pastor and becoming a youth pastor, I had to, I had to get to the point where I had to not care about my reputation. Right. Because people treated me differently. I went mm. to conferences when I was a pastor, I could go to the senior pastor's room at the conference. When I went there as the youth guy, even though last year I could go there as a senior pastor, mm. I can't go there this year because now I'm the youth guy. 
Mm. Um, if I went to a conference, hey, what do you do? I, I'm Kevin Gerald's youth pastor. Hey, yeah, let me go and talk to somebody else important. And they would just walk <laughs> off, you know, where the year before, the year before when I was a senior pastor, hey, man, they, you know, they, so, so I had to, I had to realize I had to not care what people thought. It wasn't about, about reputation. So then it goes, he made himself no reputation and then took on the form of a servant um, and, and was obedient even to the point of the cross. And so, again, in that conversation, I was with pastor. I know who I am. I'm comfortable in my job. I don't have to worry about what people think. I love what I do. If you can, uh, John Maxwell used to say, uh, if you can line up the three R's, requirement, reward, and results. So what you do, you do the best. What you do, you, you love what you do. You get the reward. And what you do, that you're required to do that. If you can line those three R's up, you're going to have a happy life. Mm. That was youth ministry for me. So I'm happy to be the youth guy. Don't worry about my reputation, but then takes on the form of a servant. So I said, pastor, even though I know who I am, I'm going to carry myself confidently. You can always be confident that I'm here not to build my own vision. I'm here to build your vision. Mm. That it's not about me and my thing. I'm strong, but I'll be strong building your vision. I'll be strong building your culture. I'll be strong honoring you. So make myself yep. a no reputation, take on the form of a servant. And then it goes on and says, and it was obedient even to the point of the cross. And I said, Pastor, the only time that my obedience is ever going to be really tested is when you ask me to do something that I totally disagree with. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, if anybody else can take this cup, let them have it. Let's nuke an archangel. Surely we can do salvation with that. And then he goes, nevertheless, not my will. So what he's mm -hmm. saying is, I don't really want to do this right now. The cross is not sounding good. Right. Not my will, but, but your will be done. So I said, so pastor, there are going to be times where you ask me to do something and my, my obedience is only ever going to be tested when you ask me to do something I totally disagree with. And that was tested probably three or four times in, in, in a right. four-year period. Right. Where I totally disagreed. I would totally do it differently. I didn't want to do it. And I had to yield my opinion for the welfare of the vision. Yep. Yep. And I hope everyone listening just, just heard the, the brilliant way he just laid that out. John, you just laid that out. Just the, the strength of identity followed all the way along to being a, a servant that, I mean, it's really the words of Jesus, right? That you'll find yep. your life when you lose it. And that's how that scripture finishes. And God highly exalted him and yep. gave him a name that's above every name. That's right. So, you know, we think when we lay ourselves down to be obedient to a, yep. and to a disagreement that somehow we lose. And God's totally. like, nah, that's not how it works. I'll raise you up and totally. I'll give you more authority. Totally. And so I always had an opinion, you know. Um, <laughs> there were times that that pastor and I debated over my opinion. There was one debate we had that probably went on. I remember there's this one time he got really angry with me. We were debating over email. And he was angry, not because I was debating. He was angry because I was taking so long to email him back. <laughs> and it was in an executive meeting. He's like, he thumped his fist down on the thing. He was angry with me. He's like, I answer you immediately. You take five days to answer me. It's frustrating the fire out of me, you know. I said, well, pastor, I have to. I said, uh, I said, when you email me, you never have to think about how I'm reading it. You never have to think about how I'm taking it. You just write whatever you feel, and you're totally entitled to do that. You're the senior pastor. You're my boss. I said, when I write my my opposing opinion back to you and debating with you, I have to write it, rewrite it, 
read it again, like I think you would read it, change everything <laughs> in it, change everything in it that I think that you won't read it the right way. I said, when I've got that edit down, I send it to Steve Shackett, who reads it, sends it back to me, edited going, I wouldn't say it like this. I think this sounds bad. I re-edit it, edit it again, send it back to him, for him to reread it, read it again, send it back to me. And after I've done that process, finally, when I feel confident that I'm saying everything I can with respect, then I send you the email. Then you read it and answer it straight back. I've got to do the whole process all over again. Yeah. But so it's, it's, so there's, does that make sense? And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, at the end of all that process, if I feel like you're not going to budge, you're not going to change, you really are locked in, then I have to die to that email and die to my opinion. And then that opinion has to become mine. Yes. So I don't go to the staff and go, Hey guys, pastor wants us to do this. I don't really like it. I wouldn't do it if I was a senior pastor. I don't know why he wants to do this. Now, when I go to the staff, I go in, hey, this is what I want to do. Yep. And if they go to me, why would you do that? That's crazy because that's what I want to do. Yep. That's, this is my decision. Is, I'm never pointing back to pastor and going, because he wants to do it. And, yep. Does that make sense? I, I then own, then, then his opinion has to become my opinion. Yep. And I respect you in that so much because it, back in in those days I wouldn't have been in those rooms you know with the executive team or whatnot and um, so for someone from outside that room what I appreciate is I know how strong you are I know that you have at least a small opinion about most things uh, <laughs> a little one <laughs> and a tad. Uh, a tad but yet I appreciated the fact that I never knew those emails existed. And I think that's, that's the part I, I just pray over time. Everyone who's a part of this community understands that when you serve someone else, you don't check your brain at the door and you don't check your ambition at the door, but there is a way you can carry yourself where, where, when it, when it really comes down to it, you can die to yourself. You can die to your opinion. You can die to that thing and God will raise you up and he will do it in you if it's his will. And over time, what it does is it builds trust with your pastor. And it builds trust up and, and maybe that is the space out of which the opportunities come in the future is, you know, I would rather have trust with my pastor than have my opinion or trust with my pastor than always get my way. You know, that, that kind of a thing. Let me, uh, let me ask you, I guess, one more question today before we land this plane. Um, you've been in ministry for a little while now. Um, I appreciate how you've just been able to go the distance. I mean, you've you've spent hundreds of thousands, millions probably of miles on airplanes and a lot of years in ministry. It's taken on different forms um, over the time. But what has staying healthy looked like for you um, over the years of ministry? How, how have you fought to stay healthy? Um, one, keeping my body healthy. I, I think that, you know, you uh, most people – don't look after their fitness in ministry. Yep. We say, you know, our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that, then that just stops that don't sleep around, don't drink <laughs> alcohol or smoke cigarettes. Right, right. But then we then we get fat or lazy or, you know, or we get, uh, you know, tired. or So physical fitness, I think you've got to keep your temple. But your body is the carrier of your destiny. So once, you, once your body stops, your destiny is going to stop with it. Right, and if totally. you, and if your body slows down because it's tired or it's lethargic, then your destiny is going to slow down. Your destiny can only move at the pace of your physical body; it carries your destiny. Yep. 
So physical fitness is is a, is a big thing for me. I'm, I, I work out nearly every day, probably six days a week. I control my diet. I don't do diets. I don't do fads. I just control my eating. If I want to eat ice cream, I'll eat ice cream. If I want to eat cake, I'll eat cake. If I want to eat candy, I'll eat candy. I just don't do it every day. And but I don't, people, you know, people see me eating ice cream. Oh, you know, you're eating ice cream. Make a big deal. I'm like, yeah, because I like it. <laughs> you know, well, I didn't think you ate ice cream. I'm like, when when did I ever tell you I don't eat ice cream? I just don't eat ice cream every day. I control everything else. Yeah, it gives me permission to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Anyway, so I keep myself physically fit and. Uh, would be one. And then I've never given myself the luxury um, to to be hurt. Mm. I just don't think you have the luxury in ministry to be hurt. If, really you, if you get, you, you can't stop getting hurt. People are going to hurt you. They're going to disappoint you. People are going to, you know, you're going to invest your life into people. Then they're going to leave you. They're going to do wrong. Um, you know, th- things are going to happen to hurt you, but being hurt is a choice. And so I made a decision early in my ministry. I do not have the luxury to be hurt. And, you know, when you have a vision, you put on restraint. Uh, when you don't have a vision, you cast off restraint. And so there are certain barriers that you've got to put in. There's got to be some no-fly zones in your life that go, you know what? I could go here, but I don't go here because it's going to stop me achieving my vision. Right. And so being hurt, disappointed, I think, has uh, never been a luxury. So. Things have been hurtful. Things have been disappointing, you know. But I just don't. I don't carry. I don't carry that. I've, I've kept really short accounts. Um, I love what I do. I love being in ministry. I think it's a privilege. I never. I never counted as a right. I'm. I'm pretty quick. I think to pull myself up when I feel like I'm. Uh, when some of the benefit, because the Bible says, it says, you know, bless the Lord on my soul. It talks about forget not his benefits. Mm. And I think that we sometimes don't even recognize the benefits. Totally. We just, we don't even, we don't even acknowledge them. And so I've always looked for the blessing. And then when my girls were little, Sharon and Chloe were like five and four or something, I took them to Disneyland. And, you know, for somebody living in Australia, New Zealand, that's a really big thing. It's a little bit like an American going to an Australia, you know, it's like the big right. trip that you want to do. And so where they're running around Disneyland. And I'm like, you know why we're here, kids? And they're like, no, why are we here, Dad? Because you are pastor's kids. We wouldn't be here if Dad wasn't in the ministry. Do you love being pastor's kids? We love being. I made them run around <laughs> five minutes right. ago. We love being pastor's kids, you know, because I want to remind them we're here because God's blessed us. Yes. And and so, but not even just stuff like that. I'm blessed to have great friends. Yep. I'm blessed to have great friends all over the world. I'm yep. blessed to be able to speak in great churches. I'm blessed to do an altar call and watch people respond to salvation. I'm blessed to see lives turned around and changed. I've been doing this so long now that the kids that I was teaching in children's ministry when I first started doing ministry are now leading churches. I'm blessed to see that. I'm blessed to, you know, this week I was in San Diego and Pastor Jürgen Liam Matesius, who have, you know, built this phenomenal multi-campus church in San Diego. We're on my team in New Zealand, and I'm blessed to see what wow. God's done in their life and haven't had Amazing. a part to play in the early years, you know, of, of their development. Not all their development, but the very, you know, uh, Samuel Duft was there, and he was an intern watching, you know, watching what God's doing through Samuel and Katie. So, you know, watching what God's done in you. So, so you just, if you can identify the wow moments and then just keep them before you, 
Yeah. And you're like, so no, I get to do, I get to do this. It's so good. You know, I remember I was flying home. I'd done a, a collab in Vegas with some youth pastors and I was flying back to Chicago and I was just looking out the window and it, it was one of those, this is awesome. You know, yeah. I, I, I get to, I get to do this. This is, yeah. so that, I think that's identify the blessing and making sure that you don't get too spoiled. Um, pick yourself up when you start to treat blessing like it's a right. I think that's a big one. Yeah. So well said. A lot of wisdom there. And um, I think we'll leave it for today. But I thank you, John, for um, not only going the distance over the years. Thank you for being our friend, being in our world. Thank you for cheering us on. Um, you You have meant a lot to us. And it's important to me that our community keeps hearing from you. So this won't be the last time we talk, but um, thanks so much for today. I really appreciate it. God bless you. Well, I'm sure you can see that there is no one else in the world quite like John. It's such an honor to have him join us today. And I hope that you got a little bit of wisdom that I feel like I got out of him when I was a young developing leader. So I hope this has helped you today. If this podcast has resonated with you, we would love if you would become a podcast ambassador. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a rating, a comment, but specifically help us get the word out. Share the podcast with another leader in your life. You post it on your Insta story or your or you know Facebook somewhere. Uh, share it with your team. We would just count it an honor to help you and your friends and your the circle of people around you be better every single Thursday right here on the Leading Second podcast. So until next time, Leading Second, we love you. We're in your corner. Let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. For more information, check out leadingsecond.com or join us on the Leading Second Forum on Facebook.